beloved congregation, this coming week is actually a special week for various reasons. We may expect a ruling from the Supreme Court, and locally you have here in a young adults conference, which is a good thing to get young adults together around the God's Word. It's a special week because every day is a day the Lord gives us, and every week is a week the Lord gives us. It's His grace. Every day is actually special if we may live with the Lord. But there's also another reason why this coming week is a special week. It's Ascension Day this coming week. And you know, we in our culture are not so accustomed to place so much emphasis upon ascension. If you think about Christmas, well, that's a, a real big event for many people, be it more for other reasons than religious reasons. But Christmas is widely celebrated. And if we think about the suffering of the Lord Jesus, well, we are accustomed to have seven weeks before Good Friday and Easter in which we reflect every year again upon the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And that is a good thing, that every year again we may reflect upon these facts of salvation, for there are such deep aspects to the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And then Easter, His resurrection, and Pentecost we speak about. But ascension, that's a bit in the background, isn't it? Many Anglo-Saxon churches don't even have Ascension Day. They just bypass it. And actually, that's not right. Because ascension, that is nothing else but the coronation of the Lord Jesus and which people would not rejoice when their king is crowned and receives glory and honor that their good king now receives the throne that gives expectation to all his subjects. And now the Lord Jesus ascended up on high. And the Lord Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. And from there he rules and governs everything. He is on the throne. It's not the presidents of this world who rule this world, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He plants his church wherever it pleases him. He revives his church. He renews his church. He leads our lives. And he blesses and gives many blessings more than we are aware of. His compassions have not failed. And that's all because the Lord Jesus is ascended and seated at the right hand of God. It is a glorious event, the ascension of the Lord Jesus. And it has been predicted in the Old Testament it has been proclaimed in the New Testament. And so we hope in this, in this week in which we wish to 
commemorate and meditate on the ascension of the Lord Jesus, we wish now to consider some aspects of his ascension as we find in the Old Testament. You can consider it as a kind of a preparation for Ascension Day. And we find then the words of our text, Isaiah 52, 13 to 15. And we summarize it as follows, the way of the servant of the Lord. It's the way of the servant of the Lord. We see his humiliation, his exaltation, and our calling. So it's very useful to consider the context of our text. You will be aware that throughout the book of Isaiah we read that the prophet repeatedly refers to the servant, the servant of the Lord. And this servant of the Lord shall work out deliverance and salvation for Israel. But who is this servant? Well, his name is revealed to us. It will be someone who lived nearly two centuries after the prophet Isaiah. And we know his name. His name is Cyrus. And he will be king of Persia. He is referred to here in the book of Isaiah as a servant or the servant of, of the Lord. But that does not mean that this heathen king Cyrus feared the Lord or that he even knew the Lord. The Lord is simply using him to bring the people of Israel from exile back into their own land of Israel. That's the servant of the Lord, Cyrus. But Isaiah does not only speak about a return from exile. Throughout the book, the, the prophet speaks also of someone else who is also called the servant of the Lord. And he shall usher in a much greater redemption. And this person <clears throat> turns out to be none the less nobody less than the Son of God, the Messiah. And that He will come to save His people from their sins. And this person is also introduced to us as the servant of the Lord. And we find three times explicitly that this servant is referred to. We find the servant of the Lord prophesies in in Isaiah 42, 1 to 7, 49, 1 to 6, and 50, 4 to 9. Well, in between, throughout the book of Isaiah, reference is also made to this other servant, the Persian king Cyrus. But this special savior this Son of God, He is referred to for the fourth time in the most extensive prophecy. That's in Isaiah 52 and 53. 
And this fourth prophecy of the servant of the Lord explains even in detail what this servant of the Lord shall do and what shall happen to him. And these words were repeatedly referred to in the New Testament. So we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy of the servant of the Lord. And if we look at the immediate setting here in Isaiah 52 and 53, we see clear references to the suffering and death of the Lord Jesus. In this well-known chapter, we find why the the, the, the Savior shall suffer and die. It's for the first time here in this book of Isaiah that we read why he must die. He was wounded for our transgressions. And then that suffering is, is, is portrayed in detail. But before the prophet announces how this Savior shall suffer, he first shows us that this Savior shall be exalted and glorified. So we may say, so we may know in advance that this servant of the Lord, he will be exalted, he will be glorified. We may know in advance that everything ultimately will work out very well with this servant. Before his terrible suffering starts, we may know that through the suffering, this servant will receive eternal salvation. And we find that at the end of chapter 53, in the verses 10 through 12, He shall see seed, children, the children of God. He shall prolong the days, although he had died, he will prolong the days, life will still continue. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and is pleasing to the Lord. It's the pleasure of the Lord that sinners would be saved. So through this suffering, the servant of the Lord will enter glory, but not just for himself, but for all his people. And it's a good thing that we know in advance, starting at chapter 52, verse 12, that we may, verse 13, we may know in advance that this servant of the Lord shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. It's good we know that in advance because the sufferings will be terrible. We see that in verse 14 of our text. As many as were a stony death thee, his visage was so marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. This verse is one of the most serious and heart-rending verses about the suffering of the Lord Jesus in the entire Scriptures. Here we see that the face of the Lord Jesus was so bruised that many were horrified because of this. 
His total being was so harassed that he was nearly unrecognizable. More than other people, he was ruined, marred in his face, in his appearance, in his being. And then in Isaiah 53, you know how the terrible suffering of the Lord Jesus is further described. And it's very good to see the contrast here. In Isaiah 52, when this prophecy of the servant starts, in verse 13, then it starts off with that he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. But then you see the stark contrast. His terrible humiliation is described after that. And like his exaltation will be glorious, so also his humiliation will be terrible. And if we would only view his humiliation, we would easily draw the conclusion that the servant would be fully destroyed. But to avoid such a conclusion, Isaiah first tells us, he will be exalted. He will be very high. He will be extolled. But it says in verse 14, many were astonished, astonied at thee, horrified by his suffering. The word astonied refers to a paralyzing astonishment. It was heart-wrenching to see what happened to the Lord Jesus. Women stood at a distance on the cross with torn hearts. The disciples were close to total despair. Even the, the people who stood around the cross, they left the cross smiting upon their breasts. They were shocked. And initially they thought he was being punished for his own sins. And people were afraid of the judgments of the Lord God when they saw how God's judgment came upon Christ. He was crucified. The crown of thorns was upon his head. He shed blood from many wounds in his body. And so we see the contrast between many and this one. Many would be shocked because of this one person's suffering. But this one person would give his life for many. Many Gentiles will be saved by this one person. And we see the suffering of the servant of the Lord. Verse 3 tells us that many hid their faces from him. He was despised. He was rejected of men. He had no form, nor comeliness, no beauty that we would desire him. And so he became the man of sorrows. And why did all this terrible suffering happen? Because he was the servant of the Lord who would work salvation for his people and his salvation would take place through his substitutionary suffering and death. Christ took their sins and guilt upon himself 
because verse 5 tells us he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. This was the way of humiliation. But along this way of humiliation, he will be led to exaltation. And that's what the Lord Jesus always considered. In Hebrews 12 We know that he, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of God. He had received the promises of the Father that everything would work out well, that he would receive a people. And for the sake of those people who God the Father had given him, he was willing to undergo this suffering And the Lord Jesus would receive grace to persevere, to fulfill the calling the Father had given him. He was faithful, and never did he forsake any of the demands God the Father had laid upon him. He always did his Father's will, for Christ was filled with holy zeal to do the work the Father had given him to do. This zeal consumed him. This zeal worked in him a willingness to go to the uttermost. And so the Lord Jesus went the way the Father had shown him. He persevered. Repeatedly he rejected the temptation to forsake his calling. How the devil pounced upon him trying to bring him off from that way of securing salvation for lost sinners. How the devil must have pointed to his disciples and then whispered in the ears of the Lord Jesus, look at those people, is that what you are doing this all for? For such unfaithful people? But Christ persevered. In spite of his heavy sufferings, he persevered. And our text says that just as many were astonished at his suffering, likewise he shall sprinkle many nations, healing them. And then we come to the exaltation. We find that in verse 13. It says there, Behold my servant, he shall deal prudently, he shall be exalted and extolled, he shall be very high, So how was the Lord Jesus then exalted? Well, that's very clear. Boys and girls, how was the Lord Jesus exalted? When did that happen? How was the Lord Jesus lifted up? Well, on the third day after his crucifixion. He was in the grave, but he arose from the dead. That was the first stage of his exaltation. And the disciples knew this. And they recognized this completely when the Lord Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, opened their understanding that they could understand the Scriptures. And they fully understood that this had to happen, his crucifixion and his resurrection. 
And then after that, the Lord Jesus laid his promise upon them that they would receive the Holy Spirit. They had to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then the Lord Jesus led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them, carried up into heaven. And there in heaven he was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And he was adorned with all power in heaven and upon earth, that he governs all things. That's how he was extolled and exalted and lifted up very high. Those three words, exalted, extolled, lifted up high. Then we think of his resurrection, and we think of his ascension. And we think of his being very high, seated at the right hand of God. We can think of Philippians 2, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see the fulfillment of our text that he will be exalted in Acts 2 verse 33 where Peter speaks, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. He is exalted. He is the king of kings. All other kingdoms in this world will go to pieces. They will crumble and come to nothing. But only the kingdom of the Lord Jesus will be forever and ever and ever in glory. So what are you living for? Are you living for this world, for this life, for this society? Are you living for your career to gain as much as you can? It will all be taken away. And although the church appears to be so little, so insignificant, so nothing, it's just some poor people here and there in other countries who are persecuted, not many rich, not many honorable or noble people, or just a common folk, nothing glamorous about them. Simple people in their homes, they're praying to the Lord. All elderly who cannot even leave their homes anymore, their rooms, they are there, they are praying. But those people are princes and princesses. They are going to inherit a glorious kingdom together with all God's people. And that kingdom is the only everlasting, real kingdom. It may not appear like that. But that's reality. And what are you living for? What's the aim of your life? The aim can only be to know the Lord Jesus and to know Him more and more and to be changed after His image and to belong forever to Him. Because the Lord Jesus is now exalted in glory.
And that's where he will take all his people to be there with him. And he will do it because he has received all power in heaven and upon earth. He ascended up on high. He took captivity captive. And he gave gifts to the sons of men, the gifts of redemption, the gifts of forgiveness and of full salvation. Christ is exalted. And now the church must give him honor, praise, and adoration. And then his church shall do it forever and ever. And how the angels must have exalted when the Lord Jesus returned into heaven as the conqueror. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. That is reality. When the Lord Jesus ascended, in Revelation 5 you read about that, this text. But on earth life went on. The Roman emperor went on with his activities, and the soldiers went on, and all the glamour, but it will all crumble to pieces because of this King of Kings. He is glorified. He has the future. His church may rest in Him, may have hope upon Him, may realize and know that the future of His people is secure not because of them, but because of His power, His faithfulness. Not one shall be left behind, and they shall all enter everlasting glory. Maybe on earth a very simple life. Maybe somewhat handicapped, but knowing Him, they will receive everlasting glory. That's the future. That's reality. And the previous things will not even be remembered anymore because He is exalted. He is in glory. And from heaven He gathers His church. He protects His church. All his enemies shall be subdued. It doesn't appear like that. But it will happen. Because he will return. To judge the world in righteousness. He's coming back. And the nations may be in turmoil. And our nation may be in disarray. But the Lord Jesus rules. So you may have good courage and true comfort that even if the world, think of Psalm 46, even if the world would, would, would crumble, then still we may 
have good courage. Even if the mountains will be lifted up and cast into the sea, we still need not fear because the Lord Jesus is on the throne and He knows who you are and where you live and what you're going through and what you need and He's willing to give above, above what we need and every eye shall see Him and every tongue shall confess Him. You and I, we will see Him one day. And because of His exaltation, we have a beautiful verse in 15, what the results will be of His exaltation. He shall sprinkle many nations. Now the word many in Scripture means often all. It's not many nations and a minority doesn't get it, no. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus will be sprinkled throughout the world. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. That's positive. That's very good. They will be dumbfounded. They don't know what to say. They will be sheer amazed. They will bend over for him, for the proclamation of the Lord Jesus. And why is it that they will shut their mouths at him? For that which had not been told them shall they see. And that which they had not heard shall they consider. That kings and people will hear things they never knew it existed. Unspeakable joy, true peace, liberty delivered of enemies that are harassing us, even though I'm poor and needy. But the Lord thinks of me. He remembers me. And that gives joy and love and hope and expectation and a perspective It says he will sprinkle many nations. You should think of the sprinkling of cleansing. That lepers had to be cleansed. They will be sprinkled. And that the attributes in the tabernacle had to be sprinkled as cleansing. And the people of Israel had to be sprinkled. That's all cleansing. That's dedication to the Lord. And he whose visage was so marred he would purify many heathens. Gentiles. The Jews would never have, have anything to do with the Gentiles. They wouldn't eat with the Gentile. But now the Gentiles shall be incorporated in the people of God because he is exalted. That sprinkling is sanctification, dedication. That the Lord will have a people who are purified, devoted to Him. And then their thoughts will be totally changed. Then they, those people will see His beauty. They will feel it. They will know it. It will go right through them. They will feel the, His love, His joy working in them. And so they shall be astonished again. 
first astonished at his sufferings, and then again astonished at what he will do in their hearts, what he is doing. They never thought it was possible. They never knew it existed. And they, they taste the loving kindness of the Lord in their heart. Then they see the beauty of Christ and that he is precious and glorious. This liberating gospel gives them so much then they will shut their mouths. What does that mean? They will be silent. Silent in love. Like a husband and a wife. When they've been for years separated. My grandparents were in Indonesia in World War II. And they were both put in separate prison camps by the Japanese. And after years they saw each other again. Imagine what that must have been, seeing each other again. With their emaciated bodies, but they had survived. They would hold each other and you couldn't say anything because they were silent in love. I believe it's in Zephaniah 3 that it says of the Lord God himself that he will be silent in love. That's the utmost love. And so these people when they see the beauty of Christ, they will not know what to say. They have no words to express this goodness of the Lord. They are in silent adoration for such a glorious Savior. They will just sink down in adoration that they want to take the lowest place for such a glorious God. There are no words to express how Christ bore the sins of his people. And when people learn to know who Christ is, they will say, the half has not been told to me. How Christ will be exalted. And this gospel will be declared to people who never heard about the gospel. Suddenly they realize peace through the blood of the Lamb can happen to you in church. That you hear of the love of Christ so often, but now it becomes real to you. When He through His Spirit enters your heart and brings you low, that you have to confess your unworthiness, your sins, and that you cry out for the living God that the Holy Spirit works in your heart and gives you true love to Him that fills your heart. And you know this is the very best. And also kings, the text says it. Kings are not accustomed to shut their mouths. They say what they want, but then they will say nothing. When King Nebuchadnezzar heard that Daniel explained the dream, told him the dream, and explained it, what did that big King Nebuchadnezzar do? He fell down before Daniel and worshipped. He had no words to express. And that's how it will be. 
when people view this exalted, glorious King. And then what's our calling in this? What's our calling? You find that in the first words of our text. What are the first words of our text? Behold my servant. There's joy in this. It is as if the Lord God, the Father, says, Look, people, behold my servant. The one who is perfect. The one whom I have given as a full sacrifice for sin. The one who has conquered death and grave and hell. And through him there is everlasting life. Behold my servant. We labor here to try to improve our lives somewhat on earth. But here is everlasting life. Behold my servant. That word behold is a powerful word. It means looking, intensely looking. I would even say staring. But staring has with us a negative connotation. You don't stare at someone. But this is positive, beholding, looking. There's no end to looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of faith. Behold. For instance, it says in Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, look, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. We know that's the Lord Jesus. We have to look to Him. And here the Lord Jesus says, Behold my servant. The Lord says it with joy. In Christ, God is fully satisfied. In Christ, There's a full remission of all your sins. In Christ, there's a full reconciliation. Behold my servant. He's ascended. He's on high. He's exalted. Behold my servant. Look to him. In all your failures, in all your stumblings, in all your shortcomings, in all your worries, in all your disappointments, in all your pain, in all your loneliness, look, behold, behold Him. In all your gratitude and in all your blessings, look to Him. Behold my servant. And what shall this servant do that we are to look at? He will deal prudently. That means wise in all he does. But it also means he will deal successfully. He accomplished it all through that deep way of humiliation when no one thought any good would come out of this. He gained the highest exaltation. And at times his people also, through suffering, 
will enter glory, that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. Don't despair when things are not going as you would like them to go. When there may be hardships in your life, don't despair. Because beholding this servant, things will work out very well. It can't be broken. Because he will deal successfully. He knows how to deal successfully in your life. He knows what you need to learn, what you need to unlearn. He knows how to take your life and put it back together again, to remove that which is ugly and to give that which is good. You know what's so good is to lay low before the Lord and to say, Lord, take my life. Let it be dedicated to Thee. Will Thou take hold of my life? I can't even do it myself. I can't control my life. But will Thou take hold of my life and lead me to the exaltation, to the glory of Thy name? And that's why this ascended Christ must be precious to us. And when you see him, you cannot live anymore without him. You need him every day. You need him to uncover you to your own sins and corruption. You need him to uncover you to his glory, to his grace, that you behold him as he is and then what will happen is then you will shut your mouth. You won't speak anymore against the Lord. Why this or why that? There'll be no groaning, no complaining, no murmuring. But even more than that, you will shut your mouth because you will not be able to express in words the goodness and the full salvation of such a Savior. And that happens when you're brought into contact with Christ. Then you see His glory over against your own life. And then you realize why He had to be abased. Because you had fallen so low. And then He took your place. Let us not live without this Lord and Savior in our lives. Amen. Shall we pray? O blessed Lord in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy precious gospel, for Thy truth, for Thy glory, for the honor of Thy name. O Lord, teach us to honor Thee, to praise Thee, and to adore Thee. And that can only be when we offer Thee the broken heart. And our heart must be broken 
It must be melted because it is a hard heart. Lord, deliver us from ourselves and make us to be most willing in the day of thy power and cause us to see beauty in the Lord Jesus Christ that we would know thee and love thee and live with thee and trust in thee and may we be comforted by thee and strengthened by thee, and lifted up by thee. For, Lord, we need thee. If we are living so far outside of thee, show us, Lord, our foolishness. Show us our wickedness. And show us the glories of Christ Jesus. Be merciful to us sinners. And go with us, we pray, also this day. Remember us in grace. For Jesus' sake, amen.